He's working for the president, he's working for our country. Alien life, uh, like pedophiles, you know, and it just seeks to tie all of that together. Welcome to episode number eight of QAnon Anonymous. I'm your host, Jake. And I'm your co-host, Julian. And this week, we are sitting with none other than Jared Holt. He's a writer for Right Wing Watch, a platform founded by People for the American Way. And he's also the host of the Shit Post podcast. Hey, how's it going, guys? We're delighted to have you, man. Yes, more than delighted. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm I'm sick. I'm, I'm basically on the brink of death, and I, I hustled my ass over here to get this in. I think we're all sick. I think we have this, like, internet poisoning <laughs> between us that, like, it yes. has just... Str- struck in us chronically ill and we have to get as much content out the door before we eventually just keel over and die so jared let's jump right into it uh you you were interviewed by salon and described as one of the people who led the campaign to ban Infowars from popular platforms this includes spotify youtube twitter and facebook i want to know like how did a relatively young man end up in a position professionally to do battle with uh, with a platform like Infowars? And, and how did that play out? So I was on Spotify one morning going through the podcast section. It had been advertised to me, and I was curious what was on it. And I noticed that Infowars was on it. And given that I have a podcast, that I have been utterly perplexed on how I get on Spotify I didn't think a whole lot about it. I just took a screen capture, tweeted it. That was amplified by other progressive groups like Sleeping Giants and whatnot. And uh, when I saw that get traction, I thought it would be good to do some reporting, which was to look at Spotify's terms of service, lay out the clear violations, and then ask Spotify for comments. When I did that, other publications like Gizmodo followed suit. Spotify sort of felt the pressure and ended up taking some episodes down. That ended up triggering this sort of domino effect where other platforms, most notably Apple's iTunes, just removed Jones's podcast altogether. And I think once Apple gave, you know, the green light as one of the biggest tech companies out there, other tech companies like Google, Facebook, etc. felt that they could do so sort of under a cover of you know, well, Apple did this, so I think we're okay to do this. The reporting I did and what I noticed on Spotify that morning, uh, I guess that was last month. It seems weird to think it was just that, you know, such a brief time span. But, uh, you know, eventually that sort of triggered this domino effect where other reporters did their job and asked for comment. And uh, before you know it, very swiftly... Uh, Alex Jones was struggling to find a platform and he's in the position now where you know besides direct traffic or traffic on uh, you know BitChute which is a offshoot of YouTube that says they won't take anything down unless it's illegal uh, right you know there's not a whole lot of places to find Infowars publicly anymore yeah and it's it, it's funny to me because it, I'm just trying to understand tactically what why he would decide to kind of ambush one of the last platforms he has access to like why he would you know go to the hearings that Twitter was um, was doing and then kind of publicly try to speak with uh, with the head of Twitter Jack Dorsey there's a great photo of him kind of reaching through the crowd trying to get his attention. Uh, and and Dorsey looks pissed, but I mean to be fair, he always looks um, like he works in a mortuary. I mean, 
And he now has that like very very Salem esque uh, facial hair. Yeah. Sort of that it, you know, he, he plays he, into it. Yeah. But do you think Alex Jones has thought about deplatforming and and it, this is some sort of tactic or you know why? I mean, I think Alex Jones, he has received numerous warnings from these various platforms probably because he is such a high-profile figure. What he's doing on his show, what he's doing on his broadcast that he's sharing on these platforms does violate the terms of service and that he needs to ratchet down. Um, but as we've seen, he only has appeared to ratchet up. And it's been sort of a toss-up for me. Mm. You know, part of the InfoWars narrative is that they're running this information war for your mind, uh, Mm -hmm. as they would put it. And this sort of fits into their narrative a little bit, that they are the subject of mass censorship, that their message is so important that it can't get out, and that, like, the global, they call it ChaiCom, forces are working against them, but... We never really saw Alex Jones move on to the next chapter of that narrative. He seems very stuck in this one, and I think yeah. his failure to transition this censorship narrative into some sort of like victory fallen hero thing is ultimately going to be his demise, sort of like the way we saw Glenn Beck right. sort of fade out of popular relevancy. Yeah. Or Milo Yiannopoulos is another good example. He lost his platforms, and now really the only thing you hear from milo is him complaining on facebook that he doesn't have any money yeah and yet cernovich is allowed to continue (laughs) to exist in all ways yeah jones is like the television that was in my parents basement in like the early 90s it's like the volume down button is broken (laughs) and so you could only you could literally only get louder and louder until you had to reset the tv yeah, to me, if he was smart, he would just uh, roll back some of the like Sandy Hook style stuff yeah. and focus more on what everyone else is doing. You know, it's not even illegal to be a disinformation mogul in today's day and age. It just seems like he's very bad at doing it. Well, he's a passionate man, you know. He he yeah, he's, he's a, a, a self described <laughs> performance artist, yeah, and sure. and so and so. I don't know if you saw that, yeah. Jared, in his in his testimony. Right. Yeah. So, so it's really interesting. On the one hand, you have a guy who is well. This is all just a performance. But on the other hand, you have him actually violating these terms of service. You have him actually going after these families of people who lost their children. And I, I actually have a, a somewhat personal connection to this. One of my good, good, good friends has a family member who lost a child at Sandy mm. Hook. And so this is a very real thing. And totally. I know that I know how devastated they were when Jones was like countersuing, you know, countersuing them, basically. Yeah. Um, he... Is very is one of the hardest to defend people uh, on the right, and that says a lot. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that Alex Jones thought that by going to Capitol Hill and confronting Jack Dorsey, that was going to be the pivotal moment. Yeah, I feel like that too. That he was going to get some sort of response from Jack Dorsey that would validate him in some way, but instead Jack just sort of blew him off. And, you know, I, I think ultimately that was a failure because... He ended up losing the last major platform he had left. Right. Do you, do you think he was angling for like um, a position at Fox News? Like maybe he would, this was going to elevate him or, because he's also, he also has like a whole crew around him, like the Paul Joseph Watsons of mm-hmm. the world and these kind of guys. So, I mean, he's responsible for this platform. I'm wondering, you know, do, do these underlings look to him and go, you, you fucked up or do they continue to just go, yes, well, the story you know, the story stands, we're being censored. Um, it seems like they're doubling down on that narrative. 
Yeah, I mean, from what I can tell, it seems that most of the InfoWars staff is doubling down. But you mentioned Paul Joseph Watson. His platform is actually bigger than InfoWars. He gets more reach on his YouTube and Twitter accounts than Alex Jones did. Yep. And he's really sort of outgrown the platform, if you will. Mm. And I agree. I don't imagine he'll stick around too much longer. He took InfoWars out of his Twitter bio last month, but you know, he's still doing the broadcast and still appearing on the show. So it's it's kind of hard to say. I think it's one of those hurry up and wait situations where we're just going to have to see how it plays out. Yeah. I think maybe, you know, it has to do with I think there's a big difference between having a a, a pleasant uh, British voice um as opposed <laughs> to a low god of yelling. All right, so I'm I'm wondering how did you get into studying the the right and specifically the more extreme factions in the in the right, the alt right? And you know, was it a hard decision to keep your identity uh, open? And what what have been the repercussions for? Yeah, you? like has Alex Jones like you know like sent you, like slid into your DMs, if you will, with like some crazy shit or. I got my start as like a political reporter in Arkansas during college. And then whenever I graduated college, I weighed my options in the area and decided that DC was going to be a better fit for what I was trying to do. When I was in college, I got a taste of right wing politics in the state and how absolutely crazy they can be. So I took a job at a place called Media Matters, which uh, is a great resource for conservative media. They have eyes on Fox and you know, all kinds of stuff now. And that's when I became like really sort of intimately familiar with right-wing politics as the, as it exists in a media space. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was there, something I thought was missing from that coverage of Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, et cetera, et cetera, is sort of like right-wing internet. Right. And I hadn't seen that really discussed in media in a meaningful way, and I certainly hadn't seen anybody picking that up and monitoring that full time and just keeping tabs on what is happening online. And I thought that was important because, you know, in this digital age, we spend so much of our time online. And since that was unexplored territory, that was going to be where I was going to go. And my oh my, it's a rabbit hole. It has been. Of course. Um, oh, yeah. To the identity question, maybe it's my journalistic background or something, but I am of the philosophy that you shouldn't print anything you won't put your name on. But of course, that has had repercussions, which has mostly just been really intense targeted harassment. I remember I was at an event in DC that Alex Jones was hosting, and he singled me out in the crowd and told everybody I was a Nazi or something. And it was. That was a trip, um, but I can't think of a better uh, yeah. a better like uh, show of character than to have uh, Jones call you a Nazi. That to me, you're instantly someone I want to be friends with. What did that feel like on a personal level? Where you have this guy who has this gigantic platform. He's like somewhat of a celebrity. What was the human sort of response to that? I'm just curious. I mean, it, while I was in the room and like watching everyone in the seats turn around to stare at me, that's always kind of like a weird, isolating feeling. Wow. But my immediate like second thought was that oh man twitter's gonna suck for a couple of days <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course you immediately were like yes this thing's happening irl but what are the repercussions in the real world online? <laughs> exactly yeah i mean that yeah totally i mean that's a, a, a totally valid yeah. thing because because you can walk out of that building and resume your life but you you can't walk out of the figurative twitter building you know you are there i mean i'm assuming though within days you had antifa people sending you nudes george soros (laughs) just wiring you a million dollars yeah can you talk about the soros money uh (laughs) 
if, if it does exist. Yeah, you know, Soros wired me enough money, I, I got my first, you know, admittedly it was a mid-range Bugatti, but I finally got one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. No, that's actually, that's actually something that, like, uh, right-wing media, like, leverages against me and my work quite often, um, which is that I'm, like, some paid Soros person, but I, you know, I don't get any money from Soros organizations like they would like to think, uh, but, of course, like, that doesn't mean shit in their world. No, yeah, of like. course, and it sucks for you, because you're like, damn, I would love some fucking, yeah. you, you know, I would love some extra funds to, you know, like, you, you know, so you don't have, it's like us, like, we, we have to fucking, yeah. you know, we have to do our shitty real jobs, like, I'd love to just do this full time, it'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, we started this podcast to uh, get on the map for, for Soros to, to have him notice our young supple bodies from across the room and decide to <laughs> use us. <laughs> Please, sir, put your hand up our asses for for thousands and thousands of dollars and make us talk like your little puppets. Yeah. This sounds great. And the shitty thing too is that like you get the harassment but you also don't get the money. Yes. The people don't care. Like the people that are attacking you on Twitter are like, oh well of course he's lying. Of course he's got like, you know, of course he's getting funding. And you're like, nah man. Like <laughs> I, I'm actually just trying to fucking survive like everybody else. Yeah, and you, you see that so much less on... Um, what can broadly be called the left, you know, in including the Democratic Party and the kind of centrists. Uh, but they it's for it's with Russia for them. They never point to the Koch brothers. I mean, once in a while, but it's almost like outmoded. That that feels like a Bush era thing. Now everyone's a Russian bot instead, and Putin's responsible for it. What is the infrastructure that the Koch brothers have uh, put in place, uh, to your knowledge, and you know why is it important um, to look at where that money's coming from and what's the effect on the legislation? Yeah, so the Koch brothers, in association with gazillionaire right wing funders like the Wilkes brothers, the Murdoch family, Adelsons, what they have sort of perfected is obscuring their money by putting it into anonymous organizations like Donors Trust. Right. So that these, you know, different outlets, media figures, etc., can receive funding, but it's from this organization instead of these wealthy families. And, and I think it's important to always remember that because there is an ulterior motive here. It's worth thinking about, like, why capitalist gazillionaires want to fund the craziest aspects of the right wing. And I think that can tell you a lot about the motivations and a lot about the inspiration behind the content if you will. Yeah. And these rich families, I mean, my gut would be uh, to say that they're angling for deregulation and, and less taxes, and they know that no matter what awful shit gets packaged with it, that the right will probably come through on that. Always, yeah. Do you know anything about some of these schools that essentially are schools for forming um, future legislators on the right. You know, that was sort of like the old model of it. Now there's sort of a push with, you know, organizations like Turning Point USA to infiltrate the liberal left institutions, if you will, um, mm -hmm. to sort of break through on existing campuses to do the same thing, but in spaces that typically the right didn't hold. Um, you know, these colleges mm -hmm. like Liberty University, the Falwell stuff, these have existed forever as institutions where young people are sort of coddled and taught how to think this way and how to effectively leverage that politically. But those schools aren't a majority of schools, so we've seen this model sort of 
expand into more mainstream schools like UCLA, mm-hmm. Kent State, that sort of stuff. And and I tend to think that's sort of a bit more interesting right now because that is sort of the new wave of this existing phenomena. Well, yeah, and they have like cool costumes now, like the football pads mm-hmm. and the America helmets and the, what was the name of the guy? The Captain Badat, what was his yes, name? Yes, they all have names now. Base Stickman. Yeah, Base Stickman. Yeah, what is cooler than that to a kid who who is feeling marginalized or feeling like there's no place for him on the left or, you know, they're calling him racist, they're calling him whatever. He's like, oh shit, I get to like go to like a cool dorm room and like load up on my football pads and I got like my Punisher chest piece and like my helmet and like my favorite bashing stick. What do you make of all this um, becoming more of a physicalized grassroots movement whereas before a lot of it had to be um, paid from the center and based in like legislation instead of grassroots? Mm, Good question. I mean, I I think that it's reflective of sort of the Overton window shifting. The discourse in America has shifted so far to the right at this point that groups like the Proud Boys or whatever you know, can effectively recruit Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. young people, which uh, has sort of raised alarm bells with various people on this beat, um, including myself, because it's definitely concerning. Essentially recruiting young people to groups that often, you know, provoke violence at rallies and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Any, you know, if they weren't so political, they would probably be classified as a gang of some sort. Right, right. Yeah, totally. They are. I mean, they are a gang. Yeah. I heard th- the other day, it was a YouTube video. It was like, interview with a 300-day no fapstronaut. <laughs> like, he's exploring. Oh, my God. Having basically come uh, fill your entire body and replace your internal organs. Yeah, that gives you superpowers, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Recently, we saw the QAnon communities like the Great Awakening being banned from Reddit. It's a crime. True crime. Oh, I know Agreed. You, I know you believe that. You should You should just know uh, Jake and I haven't fapped for like 400 days. Yeah, it's yeah. it's been crazy. Like there have been a couple mm-hmm. times where I've been like, I've kind of imagined myself fapping and like I felt oh. like that was kind of a violation of the code. Yeah. So I actually did go ahead and, and whip myself on the <laughs> yes. back with a belt. Yeah. Um, which really like sort of kind of brought things back into perspective for me. So yeah, 400 yeah. days strong and uh, my eyes are bulging out of my sockets. <laughs> But 4chan and 8chan uh, are pissed, uh, and there's one less pipeline right now, um, certainly you know, getting the, some of the information that's born there or research there into the mainstream. Uh, can you explain what happened in this case, and like, what do you think the implications are for the movement? I mean, they, they've moved to, to vote, which is a, a less mainstream platform. Like, I, I don't see normies yeah, the normies going there to get lurk. informed. Like, normies like me like, can't lurk anymore. Like, I, I, find, I found myself sort of lost these last couple days because I don't have a, a aggregated platform where I can, uh, you know, digest all of the Q drops. Q, I, I'm sure I don't need to explain for your listeners but q mostly resided on 8chan and then you know a lot of the speculation took place on reddit Mm -hmm. recently as the sort of QAnon contingent grew more desperate with the fact that these drops or these predictions weren't happening they sort of got out of control and they started you know doxing people encouraging harassment Mm -hmm. of people uh bullying people and that is all against reddit's terms of service and reddit 
pulled it. As far as I know, the QAnon stuff is still on 8chan. I personally use one of the those websites that repost the Q posts so that I don't have to wade through yeah. all these people being like, God damn, I love America. This is awesome you know <laughs> yeah yeah or like the best the best are like say a prayer tonight for donald john trump oh dear jesus mother on like they actually say like hail mary's in the posts and stuff speaking of the drops not coming true we are on the eve of a uh, fisa declassification and as well <laughs> as the release of all text messages pertaining to the russia investigation between comey mccabe Peter Stroke and Bruce Orr. A couple weeks ago, Q did post. He said declassification and more incriminating texts were coming. So I'm very curious to get your opinion on what you think the that the declassification will show. Is it going to be... Because my experience in these is that Q hypes up something, it drops. All the normies go, oh, it's a nothing burger, like the memo or like the original FISA drop where the, there were redacted portions of stuff. But then when I go through and read some of the shit, I'm like, oh, well, I mean, it's not necessarily a nothing burger. Like, there is evidence of, like, bias and, like, people sort of abusing their power. So I'm really curious what you think that this full, unredacted release uh, could bring for the Q movement and uh, whether good or or bad. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this declassification will come out as a journalist. I am always, like, totally for releasing government documents um so totally so i don't really like have much of a problem with the fact that he's doing this honestly like more government transparency is more than welcome for me but now there now that is a true journalist right there but (laughs) okay but uh you're making jake happy so far but give him the rest (laughs) (laughs) give him the rest (laughs) but i you know it is i am going to be curious to see how this plays out in right-wing media these documents have been the source of a bunch of crazy speculation about you know okay the fisa memo wasn't a thing okay the carter page or whatever the lisa stroke texts weren't a thing but like this is going to be the thing and i think no matter what these documents contain uh they're going to be interpreted as such um, be, yeah, uh, I agree. Because it, that's just the spin, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as like what this will mean, I guess like in the QAnon universe is a whoever is posting as Q is immediately validated because these documents that are supposed to be declassified are being declassified. Um, so I think this is going to re-energize the QAnon followers. But the Q base, I agree too. I think that's spot on. Yeah, if you look at the slight uh, moistness in the eyes of Jake, you can tell he's just waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Give it to me. Yeah, but like at the same time, I I don't know. I'm kind of skeptical that this is going to prove anything else beyond that. Um, But, you know, that's just my, I guess, natural skepticism. Ultimately, we're just going to have to wait and see. It's Tuesday and, uh, you know, tomorrow, I guess we're going to find out. You I know, thought they said yesterday that it would be today. What's, what's I feel like this keeps shifting. What the well, I mean, I think it's a difficult process because I do not think <laughs> right. that the White House is going through the normal channels of declassification, that they're actually doing it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there's there's some hoops that they have to jump through as far as that. Uh, this is the first time that um, one of these warrants has been like,
like completely declassified, um, which is very interesting because we will see the inner workings of this secret court, whether it implicates, you know, the DNC and the Clinton campaign and the Obama administration or not. I think we can all be safely confident that whatever Trump is planning on releasing, he feels is going to energize his base in some way. Yeah, I think that probably most, uh, you know, news organizations will say if there is stuff that's revealed, they'll be like, well, of course they did. This is an active investigation. And they were trying to get to the bottom of whether or not there was Russian collusion. And so, of course, that they're, you know, of course, they're going to be having these conversations. And the funny thing is, I think both sides will have a good point. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't think and either people will be will be wrong. I mean, yes, if there is legitimate, you know, if there were legitimate concerns and there's legitimate evidence stemming from the Carter Page uh the Carter Page surveillance that is leading to information possibly verifying the dossier or whatever, mm-hmm. of course, then they're going to have legitimate reasons. Um, but it will be interesting to see. What I was disappointed in is that Trump is only declassifying certain pages. Yeah, of course. Which I think is fucked. I mean, honestly, if you really want to get the people on your side, declass the whole thing. Like, yeah, let, but that's like, not in his interest. It's in not in his Trump. interest, which makes it a little bit less great for me. What I'm more interested in is all of the text messages between Comey, McCabe, Stroke, Page, and Bruce Orr. Because Bruce Orr who was like number four at the DOJ. Like he's, you know, everybody wants to make him, they, they try to make him like a Papadopoulos or whatever. Like he's kind of this small fry, but he's actually like a pretty big deal over the Department of Justice. And his wife, Nellie, was working for Fusion GPS on this dossier. So mm-hmm. there is some sort of bleed over here. So I think to me, that's what I'm more interested to see. I want to see like, you know, what these communications were like. Um, but but I just wonder if it's again just going to be um, proof that the political class is inbred, yeah. that they're always scheming and digging on each other. I mean, yeah, I I just don't see that as surprising. I do see less and less journalists willing to admit that about the entire political uh, system. I think most people choose a side and spin in their direction, right, and kind of hide what they what they need. But it's true that if he's controlling what he's putting out. I mean, it's not as fun. Yeah, it's it's also not as believable. I mean, I just obviously don't believe that Trump cares about transparency. That's never been something that he's about. No, Uh, you know, and and for for him to come in and say, okay, I'm going to be transparent, and in that vein, I'm going to release these things. I immediately think you're not being transparent, and this is definitely, you know, whatever information you're releasing, you you're trying to paint a picture in one direction. If you're only unredacting pages 12 through 14 and pages 27 through 32. That, you know what it does is it 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 allows people that are already you know not on his team on this particular matter to be like oh well duh of course he's only declassifying the pages that are going to make him i think he's doing himself a disservice but who knows it's like jared said like we'll see what we'll see what happens and um yeah yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting development. I just wonder, does it even matter what it says? I mean, I, I that's it, a great question. Is it question. just going to be a Twitter talking point for people where they get to say, "Well, he declassified this and this," and they don't really care about anything past? Yeah, that. I mean, I, like, well, he did I that. think that's just sort of the political environment. And I think what you said about how you know political media is sort of hesitant to acknowledge that politics is so incestuous, like any other industry at this point in time. I guess if you know the right people, you get in. Yeah. If if you're family friends with somebody you just got a job at like the DOJ or whatever. And that's something worth discussing because it reeks of nepotism and corruption. But I also think 
you know, the other point is good where it's not really going to matter exactly what these documents say. You know, people have their hot takes already lined up, probably scheduled in TweetDeck, yep. ready to go, you know. Yep. You know, the right wing is going to come at it from this angle of like, Trump declassified this, where's the Russian collusion? All this proves the deep state was out to get him, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, and the left is going to paint this as some sort of smear or they're going to bring up the fact, you know, I, I kind of tend to agree with you guys where it's like, if he's going to declassify it, just dump the whole thing because it yeah. naturally raises the question of what is still redacted and why is it still redacted? Especially when the White House is going out of its way to take special measures to declassify certain portions, which is something the White House does have power to do. Like, what? what's the deal here? Based on, on former administrations, they're just going to say, well, those parts had to do our with national sources security. And, yeah, those are sources and methods. National yeah. security. Yeah, we have to protect our national security. Ever since uh, the beginning of the war on terror, that just is like a, an argument that flattens any kind of journalism that people attempt to apply. I mean, you have, we discussed on the last episode, how you have editorial boards um, brokering, you know, the release of information mm-hmm. with governments because they, you know, don't want to piss off the government. They want to keep them as a source, and then they also, you know, want to not look like they're in, you know, quote unquote, endangering America. And if you look at what happened to Snowden, and you look what happened to Chelsea Manning, I mean, they've made examples out of these people to say, you know, yeah. even if, even if we have a, a liberal president, like, no, it's not okay to, uh, you know, inform the American people that. The Prism is collecting all their data in a giant center and that anyone can tap it if they want and go back 30 days legally and illegally. Surely they can probably just tap your entire thing. Well, I think it's for I think it's you. I think it's longer than that. I think it's like 90 days that you get if you if you tap. But but dude, Jared, I think you're I think you're on the money, dude. I think the right is going to be, oh, well, this systematically proves that the Mueller investigation, I'll do it in Jones's voice, (laughs) that the Mueller investigation was founded on false principles because the frogs are fucking gay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And the left is going to be like, Law, nothing burger. Law, that's it. Like it's, uh-huh. it, they won't even address what's going on. I think they will already come from this place of like, I can see the CNN headlines now. This doesn't mean anything because, as we've already told you for the last two years, they were, you know, the FBI was running a legitimate investigation. Already, blah blah blah. blah can't blah. you also see the right wing story that's just going to be like? Finally, the smoking gun. Yeah, like, of course. I these think these people should be in jail. And exactly, it's like. And it's going to be the same shit that we've been doing for the last two and a half years. And as a conspiracy dude, the 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 heartbreaking thing for me is that we're actually getting like some windows into the, you know, the the behind the curtains working of the government and these secret courts. And nobody's going to care. Like it's going to be no, like, no. it's going to be like, oh, no, this proves my point. The other guy's going to go, well, this proves my point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just that's just politics nowadays. Right. It's just like, yeah, never dude. ending posturing. Yeah. And everybody just talks past each other um yep. mm-hmm. which is yeah incredibly depressing you know part of my beat is i cover the nazis of the internet and i <laughs> i will concede that i don't think it's worthwhile to you know both sides with them but as as far as like 
this sort of stuff goes like government transparency should be something that everybody wants but yeah yeah you know it's become partisan which is really kind of depressing i guess to me yeah Yeah. and, and neither side really seems to want freedom i mean the right wants the freedom to be able to you know like deport or whatever get rid of whoever they want and build a wall and then the other side is now in love with the FBI and the CIA, uh, absolutely thinks the generals are going to come to save us from this man. And it's like, I don't understand. Both sides are, one side is dangerously authoritarian and, you know, the other side is like absolutely lining up to lick, uh, lick boots. So it's just, to me, it's very depressing because both of these are perfectly symbiotic and can lead down a path to like a more well, authoritarian grip on power. Yeah, in the they they keep the American people divided. They keep mm-hmm. the everything is like you said is is now hyper partisan, and there's I mean is this America now that we will just forever be caught in our own echo chambers <laughs> and just like like is there a opportunity? And it, and 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 I'll be the first to say I don't think Trump is going to do it. But is there an opportunity for us, these two sides, to have some kind of common ground? Like I think that that's maybe where Alex Jones was smart very early on. He he knew it was an information war. He knew we lived in a state where it didn't really matter what the facts were on the ground that we yeah. were going to fight for people's minds. Um, actually, I want to read a little passage from something you wrote. You wrote Infowars. It's not an attempt at legitimate reporting. It's a quote war. War for your mind. Unfortunately, their war for the American mind is to stuff it full of conspiracy theories. That ultimately debases people from reality and polarizes them to the extremes of right-wing politics. Historically, we've seen that that can be very harmful for the vision of America as a free and open democracy. I think it's important to realize that people like Alex Jones are using these platforms in bad faith. What do you mean by this exactly? And is there a reliable way to determine whether a platform or person is acting in good faith? Or are we just seeing a kind of continuation of the the idea on the left wing that if we get through to people, they're going to care about the, the facts again, uh, whereas the right has completely gone past that. And what matters to them is consolidation of power and everything else is subservient to that. Whereas it seems like the people on the left, what matters to them is looking proper, saying the right thing and obeying the rules of the discourse. Yeah, I mean, I think to the first part of that, you know, Alex Jones was savvy enough to realize, at least like in the digital age, that being online and the algorithms of these social media platforms naturally create sort of echo chambers. And he designed InfoWars as a way to game that sort of ecosystem online and inject himself into the conversation and make InfoWars the multi-million dollar platform that it ended up being, and I guess is still today, but we'll ultimately be able to tell in about a year or so how that goes for him. Mm-hmm. But his version of the information war was to really cater to like the great American conspiracy, which is like the natural sort of paranoid nature of American politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so his version of that was from a right-wing libertarian angle. That changed in the most recent years when he picked up Trump as his guy. But in the early days, it was it was very libertarian. It was very, like, don't trust big government. This is all about populism, which I think he was successful in hitching his wagon to that train uh, at a very early day. But... You know, what I mean by acting in bad faith, Alex Jones did not do this because he has any sort of genuine interest in putting the truth out. His most important prerogative to 
himself is obviously enriching himself, uh, building his platform, getting his voice out there, and sort of creating this alternate reality where everything can and should be doubted, even atrocities like whether or not children died uh, in the Sandy Hook shooting. Mm -hmm. For that reason, he's very harmful. He also uses his platform to uh, harass, intimidate people. He encourages, uh, you know, at the same time, his viewership to take up arms and buy guns like mad. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time tells them that the liberals and like media are going to come kill them and destroy democracy, mm-hmm. uh, which is a dangerous combo. So, uh, you know, I guess when I say he operates in bad faith, when I'm making that sort of determination on whether I think that somebody operates in bad faith or not, I look at a few things. Uh, the first is what the response was to any sort of effort to break through. Um, which has been made multiple times in Alex Jones, uh, where platforms like Twitter reach out or YouTube reaches out and they have conversations with him and tell him like, listen, you're allowed to like do your thing. Just stop breaking our terms of service. Otherwise, we're going to have to take you off. And Mm -hmm. like I said earlier in the show, he only ratcheted it up and sort of escalated the situation. And also just I try to examine whether or not there's any sort of well-intended effort to be honest and what I've seen from InfoWars after watching thousands of hours of InfoWars is that that effort isn't made in a real meaningful way. Um, InfoWars articles contain all kinds of errors. I think I've seen InfoWars issue one correction ever. Um, most of the time they just take down articles mm-hmm. and say nothing. Um, you, you know, as part of operating in good faith, and you know, I've had to do this, every journalist has had to do this, is when you get something wrong, you just step up and own it and say sorry. Um, which is something InfoWars doesn't do. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of look at it in that twofold way where it's, has this person been talked to and how did they react and whether there's like an honest effort to be honest or to, uh, you know, at least be genuine in what they're trying to do. Right. Right. Well, it's almost like, it's almost like in, it, it would be off brand for InfoWars to issue an apology. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? I mean, they sort of... Um, His whole thing is, I eat red meat, I treat women like shit, and I will not apologize for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what are your guys' uh, ultimate wish lists for the future of Alex Jones in InfoWars? Now that, he's, oh. now that he's been deplatformed, I mean, is there any particular place you would like to see him go, even, even if that is to fade into obscurity? Or do you think... That do you think that he could technically have a, a come to Jesus moment and and realize the error of his ways and at the very least try to have some sort of uh, like you said like a good faith conspiracy theory platform? I think once they finally you know premiere the character of Pepe the Frog as a WWE figure, he's going to be like the angry manager <laughs> next to him, and I can only hope that he oh gets. Oh my god, that's great! That he gets us uh, you know like somehow pulled into the ring and that the um that the referee gets knocked out and then he just gets a few chairs broken over his head uh but yeah i I mean i think his next transition if all goes to hell is to just become more cartoonishly entertaining and and basically bank on the fact that america is so mentally ill that there's still going to be an audience yeah in an ideal world i would see alex jones move over to uh the home shopping network (laughs) and start (laughs) Start start selling vacuums and be like, 
folks, folks, the the dust buster, it will soak up all those uh, globalist dust bunnies underneath the couch. If he gets people on brain pills and then sells vacuum cleaners, he will essentially be the perfect salesman for a 50s housewife. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who's going around the house on, on a low amount of speed, just kind of getting things done. I would like to see, I would like to see sort of like what Apple is moving towards the Alex Jones film studio. Like, I would like to <laughs> oh, see God. scripted narratives of all of the craziest like InfoWars conspiracy theories with top-notch actors, top-notch production value. And I mean, I would like to see him completely embrace fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> as opposed to trying to sell fiction as nonfiction, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I, well, I mean, he, he talks about every once in a while, uh, you know, early on in his career, he was approached to like be an actor in movies and stuff. So maybe that's the big pivot is Alex Jones has become so infamous at this point that Alex Jones plays himself on like 24 or something. I could see that, that some piece of shit director goes, you know what? I'm going to give this guy a shot. And then he's like, all he has to that all you have to do is cast him as somebody that's him. Like you don't have, you just yeah. make sure he doesn't have to do any acting and he'll be brilliant in, in, so, you know, he'll be, we could put him in like conspiracy theory too with Mel Gibson coming to theaters this summer. Transformers 75 <laughs> starring Alex Jones yeah. as Optimus prime. Hells. Yeah. Hells. Yeah. Um, do you think in a perfect world, uh, we wouldn't have to weaponize private companies' terms of services against each other in an effort to halt distribution of disinformation sources like Alex Jones? And what do you think, if any, a government regulator uh, would play uh, as a role in this? Are, are, we, are we extending too much trust in private companies whose bottom line is profit? Uh, in allowing them to have an active role in in what you know in fact checking or trying to get misinformation off of the platforms. So first off, yeah, we put way too much pr trust in private companies. Uh, the fact that like tech conglomerates can just decide to rip someone off the platform, we haven't seen this done at least in a very public or high profile way for political issues, but. You know, that's always like the risk is that dissident voices or like counter revolutions and countries will be silenced mm -hmm. at a whim. In a perfect world, these companies that have made, you know, very public promises and claims that they are going to combat misinformation and that they are going to take efforts to take this off the platform, it wouldn't require public pressure. In an ideal world, they would just do it, right? Yeah. Um, they, they would keep their promises. But unfortunately, we live in this world where these companies are primarily motivated by how many eyeballs are on their site at a given mm -hmm. time because they sell advertising. Um, and th there's not really a big business incentive. It's expensive to hire people to moderate content. It's sort of a sloppy process for mm -hmm. you know what happens when something gets through the cracks. How do you do it consistently? How do you do it transparently? Ultimately, that, that consistency and transparency is the ideal world where it's like this was taken off this platform why was it done is there an appeals process mm -hmm. um you know how is this decided and how is this carried out but we don't have that we currently live in this like crazy technocracy where mm -hmm. you can yell at jack dorsey on capitol hill and he suddenly decides like all right fuck it take this guy off my platform mm -hmm. yeah. um you know it, it's just left to the whim of these tech companies um, I, I, I do think these companies are starting to take steps in the right direction, but I think, you know, that's probably primarily because, uh, you know, different senators and 
you know, media figures have called for regulation, and that is the mm-hmm. last thing these people want. Yeah, they don't want to be regulated by the government. But at this point, what's interesting with these companies is they've gone way past companies with a product to offer. They essentially offer the infrastructure for our uh, communication with each other. So, And yet they're regulated by none of the laws that regulate infrastructure and also the laws regulating infrastructure are being rolled back anyways. So, you know, the, the idea that we live in a good world uh, because these companies are finally regulating themselves, to me, is just such a slippery slope. And it would be a shame that um, the alt-right and the right, that it would eventually result in their story coming true, right? There is now uh, some sort of a deep state that is not yeah, like elected, that is essentially assigned by the company, uh, you know, and then they get to to make the decisions uh, on, you know, what's moral and immoral. Um, yeah, like the fact that Facebook came out and had like a press release that was like, that was like, ah, from now on, we will be fact checking and we did trust us. We've got yeah. the best software, you know, and I'm often torn whether like we should trust these companies um, who as public companies are so susceptible to public pressure to bear that load of responsibility for fact checking. On one hand, it's, what they promised they would do and what the public wishes they would do. Um, but on the other hand, you know, that public pressure goes the other direction too, where these mm-hmm. bad faith actors yeah. can also demand, uh, you know, with their large audiences that they should have a say in the equation too, which sort of, you know, nullifies the whole thing. Well, yeah. And it, Facebook doesn't care because they're making money. They, they, you know, as long as people are happy, Facebook doesn't care. Yeah. No, yeah. They're, they're, they're actually happy when people are unhappy too, because they're posting on each other's, content and they're continuing the kind of high engagement uh yeah. stuff that that makes facebook stay alive and also we're in a very bizarre state because you know when when uh social media was born and still developing and these companies weren't you know too big to fail or whatever the 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 uh the companies would succeed or fail based on if people wanted to use them but at this point where we're kind of born into this system now uh it it feels like a lot of these companies are grandfathered in and even if people don't want to use them anymore they have to so it's such a it's a very different responsibility in my in my opinion yeah i mean i I think the best thing the government could do is you know regulate these platforms in a way that dismantles their ability to suppress opposition and simply provide other developers and whatnot a fairer shot at providing a similar service that is you know maybe regulated in a better way and that sort of thing yeah because the like hyper centralization of online activity to a handful of websites um is concerning because then you have to trust the websites right you know multi-million dollar corporations with thousands of people on staff that are in the business of selling you know your eyeballs to companies are just historically have not proven themselves to be incredibly trustworthy. No, because profit margins and risk mitigation are going to be their two biggest focuses as soon as they're, you know, as they have a large amount of investment or have gone public and are uh, have to answer to shareholders, you know. Right, maybe there's some maybe there's some sort of compromise that 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 could work like um like for example, like if there's a let's say somebody posts an article on Facebook, they share an article and the headline of the article is the frogs are gay. Um <laughs> Yeah, and then Facebook could conceivably make an algorithm that, under that article, it says "want to hear a different opinion." Maybe somebody could invent some sort of algorithm that, for every article that's posted below it, there are like three different 
opinions on the same sort of thing. So people, because the way it is now, like when I click on, you know, the Frogs Are Gay article, the things that come below it are five more wacky fucking articles that are going to lead me deeper down the rabbit hole, like as, as yeah. you were saying earlier. But that's the thing with the, the liberal fantasy that if we all get to the debate table that uh, we can like debate our way to something like some sort of objective yeah, truth. Yeah, I guess I'm being West Wingy right now. It's, it's, it's a liberal fantasy as well that there is an objective truth and I think the end result of something like you're describing would be, you know, an article that just says like, why black people should only have half a vote and aren't really human. And then it's like, you want another opinion on this? And it's like, well, that's the problem is that the two sides are shifting. They're shifting goalposts, right? So if if we're stuck in a conversation now that that is already like, do migrants deserve to not have their children torn from them and locked in cages? That's already our conversation. So wh- who cares about the two sides of that? Like this, the situation is yeah. already in, in a, in a I guess in I, crisis, right? Human rights are not a, a negotiable thing. There, there's no two sides to it. Like you either have uh, full human rights and everybody's equal, or you don't. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm I, my my idea would would have to would have to presuppose that the articles that you're talking about are not so far down the rabbit hole where you're where the two sides are already unequal in their you know portrayal and in their you know um that's what alex jones i think figured out is like no no no, we're we're in the age of propaganda and whoever wins the propaganda war has a chance of installing a new system because this one is currently broken and i think right now the liberal tendency is to say no no no, the old institutions still work everything's fine pretending that you know these large liberal papers weren't you know the ones uh, basically leading us into or at least uh, turning a blind eye to like what led us into the Iraq war and the Afghan and the Afghani invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I, I don't personally believe that the institutions, uh, you know, still hold water. I mean, you, you described, um, a series of, you know, fact checks and stuff before the New York times can put out something. And that's true. But what they succeed in doing is they just don't investigate one thing and they do investigate another or they frame any kind of democratic socialist as, you know, a radical, uh, it's, it's all in the adjectives at that point, you know? So, um, I think that, that the danger is saying, well, we used to have good journalism and, and soon hopefully we'll have it again. But mm. journalism was always a battle for the minds of people and it was always run by special interests. You know, if, of course, people as individuals um, might want to fight for the truth, but that's often against their own editorial boards. Right. I think that's right. I mean, as far as the like both sides thing goes, uh, that that's something that I think BuzzFeed tried to do a couple of years ago, which was under any sort of opinion column they would run, uh, they would provide, you know, links to competing ideas. And, but, but there was that presupposition that like some stuff is non-negotiable, uh, which I think is, you know, the right thing to do. I think, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just a crazy (laughs) radical leftist or whatever, but like, I tend to think that like slavery is bad and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there shouldn't be a competing opinion piece underneath the slavery is bad. I also tend to think that foreign interventionism is bad, and I just don't see either side of the aisle really standing against that. There's no discussion of uh, yeah. the, what the foreign policy of the United States uh, has done for the last hundred years. And people on the left aren't even trying to run on that anymore because the country's in being gutted um you know and people are having their basic rights taken away domestically and yeah, so they, it, it they, makes it impossible to discuss uh what the hell is going on with these wars and the fact that we had basically two candidates in 2016 that were both like hawks or at least um tended towards aggression uh when they dealt with other countries 
Yeah, and it's because you've got people fucking arguing over whether the okay hand signal is a white supremacy. Like, they've got us arguing over these, you know, they feel like it's an important battle, but it's really not it's just the most surface level sort of thing that's yeah. keeping keeping you away from the sort of the real issues. Jared, do you uh do you have a favorite conspiracy theory? Is there anything oh, that man. over the course of your your journalistic history that you've come across something that like you were that either you kind of believed or you were just fascinated that people could believe something so ludicrous or you know, besides all the infowar shit. So probably Oh man, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But um, so uh, this is like a nine eleven conspiracy theory, uh, flight thirty five, or I forget the number of it. Um, the one that was supposedly like headed towards DC. Yeah, I don't think it's entirely implausible that the military shot that plane down. I I right. don't. Yeah, I don't think that that's a that's too far fetched at all, given what was going on. The narrative was that like the passengers realized what was happening and like hijacked the plane and Mm -hmm. crashed it. But like, if you have any basic familiarity with airplanes, like airplanes run on autopilot once you get off the ground and until like right before you land, mostly it's like computer guided. And I super doubt that like any civilian would have enough working knowledge of like a Boeing jet to be able to like disable that system and And then then slam it into into the ground. ground. You've got the guy who uh, very recently with, with zero, zero uh, knowledge of flying a plane was he stole that plane from what airline and then was like doing loop-de-loops and shit before he crashed it. (laughs) You remember uh, that? I remember this is like a couple weeks ago where there's some, some like baggage guy, (laughs) like some baggage guy basically hopped into some like jumbo jet and took off with it. He was like, should I do a fucking barrel? Like, it sounds like a gamer, like a depressed gamer who's had a little bit too much to drink. And he's like, kind of thinking, he's like, kind of thinking about like killing his character or whatever and he's like well, i don't know should i do a barrel roll i'm gonna try yeah. it and that's when you give up on the on the missions in gta and you just go for it yeah i think that there's a lot of um i was watching some 9-11 videos last night tbh and i think that there are a lot of really interesting discrepancies. the whole building seven thing is very interesting to me that you know that's the the, the center for the cia and that's the um you know that was the mayor's sort of like there there's so much stuff in that building and and it basically got, I mean, it looks like it was fucking demoed. Yeah, and, and something about Building 7 in particular, um, if you're not really f- super familiar with like the history of New York, Lower Manhattan uh, used to be a literal landfill. It mm-hmm. was a big garbage heap, and they paved over the top of it and put buildings there. Nice. Um, so after the towers came down at 9-11, there were a lot of buildings that they just blew up because they determined they were unstable and they didn't right. want people to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. That lower part of Manhattan was like shut down for months. You know, it's entirely possible that building just fell down. And when yeah. buildings fall down, given the way their structures are designed, they tend to fall straight down. Yeah, I also think that it's it's totally in the realm of possibility that those guys said, hey, this building is is, you know, um, it's in this danger zone. Um, it could it could very well collapse from all of these structural fires. Why don't we go in and and demo it properly so that it does not hurt any other people or anything like that? I mean, the owner of the building is definitely caught on record, and and he has stated to the public that he was the one who said, you know, please let's like, pull it. get these guys out because I've you know he had seen the two other buildings fall and and he didn't want um you know like saving his building to be the cause of like hundreds yeah of deaths. hundreds of more deaths. 
Anyways, um, anyways, um, I hope you do get in trouble. You've heard it here first. Jared Holt <laughs> is a uh, t- uh, 9/11 truther. <laughs> have you guys seen the video? Have you guys seen the great video? I can't remember. It was at some like Comic Con or whatever. Nathan Fillion is like about to step on stage or whatever, and this guy, this like tired looking guy in like a ball cap, basically like steals the microphone and he's like, "9/11 was perpetrated by members <laughs> of our government," and he just gets yanked off by all these security guards. It's the funniest fucking thing. Oh, dude, uh, Comic Con. Lo- yeah, I love this. I love. I I love the truther. I love the truther movement. Um, that's, that's America trying to interrupt its nonstop diet of entertainment for just a moment of screaming about <laughs> yeah. something. Guys, the truth is awful. The truth is out there. Jared, uh, your Twitter is Jared L. Holt. You recently got boosted to over 20K. Congratulations. Wow, man, that's awesome. Thanks. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> If you haven't already, uh, sign up for our Patreon. For five bucks, you can get access to premium episodes. We currently already have two. Go check out Jared's writing on Right Wing Watch and go check out his awesome podcast, Shitpost, which you can type in as S-H-T-P-O-S-T. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, the I in shitpost is an exclamation mark. I like did, oh, hell yeah. I did like all the like banner images and like Patreon and everything. And then when I tried to put it into iTunes as shitpost, they were like, "Are you fucking kidding? You're trying to put the word yeah, shit no. in the title?" Oh my god! Oh, what a nightmare! Of course. <laughs> That's weird because I hear Alex Jones' new uh, podcast, Fuck Tits, is, is on Spotify. So You can follow us on Twitter, QAnon Anonymous. That's the same username on Patreon and on SoundCloud. And please tell your friends about us and go and rate us on iTunes to counteract all the MAGA people who are very disappointed when they finally listen to this. Uh, in fact, the Pizzagate episode, it was someone's breaking point and they just, they just went hog wild. So help us out in that area. It's really cool. It's really cool and and fun for I can't speak for Julian, but for me to talk to somebody who who really is a journalist and really you know is you know is willing to look at both sides. It's really cool to see somebody on the front lines doing that shit, especially you know young a young handsome fellow like yourself. I mean, Jared literally his job is to stare into the void, and so the void is definitely staring back into him. Yeah, and I feel a little bit of that void even even through Skype here. It's true. Jared, thank you so much for joining us, man. This has been uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah it was it was pleasure. a pleasure. And uh, you know, before I go, I just want to say the Earth is flat. I've seen the edge. Nice. <laughs> it's not.